Open your Bibles to John chapter 15, the Gospel of John chapter 15. Can we stand in honor of God's Word this morning? Look at John 15, 13. It says, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Father in heaven, Jesus said there's no greater love. If there's no greater love and if we're as Christians to be known by our love, then Father, show us how to live this life in such a way that the world would see the greater love that's supposed to be emanating from us and through us. God, I ask that our hearts would be challenged to the very core of who we are. And Father, I ask that every bit of self-centeredness, every bit of selfishness, every bit of self-absorption would fall off of the church and they would once again be your radiant people, living stones building up God's house. Father, restore the church. Restore the church, Father. Let it be that beacon in the community, Father. Let the church, Father, shine bright and gloriously. Father God, we ask that you would use messages like this one today to restore who the church is, what the church is, and who the church should be to the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You can be seated. What we're going to look at today, I believe, is the difference between good and great. I believe it's the difference between relationship and religion. I believe it cuts to the core and to the heart of what genuine, what real, what living, vibrant Christianity is all, it's all about. Notice the use of the word friends here in John 15, 13. C.K. Barrett said, The eternal divine love reached its complete and unsurpassable expression in the death of Christ, which was at the same time the death of a man for his friends. Which was at the same time the death of a man for his friends. Following Jesus' cue, the greatest expression of love is laying our lives down for others. Today, I want to look at the most attractive way that a Christian could possibly live. And I'm talking about attractive to those who don't know, to those who haven't accepted Jesus Christ, to those who are on the outside watching and wondering if this thing's for real, if this thing's legit. I believe the most attractive way that a Christian can live when the world's looking at us is sacrificially. It's sacrificially. Jesus had a cross, and so do we. Go to Matthew 10. Now, I just want to say something. Wednesday night, for those of you that were here, um, I referenced this portion of Scripture, and it came out of my mouth. It wasn't in my notes. And I wrote this message weeks ago. And so when I was going over my notes again after Wednesday night, in preparation for today, I realized that included in this message was this reference that came out of my mouth Wednesday night. I believe it came out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and I believe it's a word for our body. So contained in a couple verses, there's a truth that I believe God wants this church to have. Now, you could say it's for the body, yeah, but it's coming to this church. It's coming to this church. It came out of my mouth Wednesday when I was going over my notes for today. I realized that I included it again. So for those that have ears to hear, I'm asking that you hear this morning. Look at Matthew 10. 
Look at 38. It says, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. If you give up your life for me, you'll find it. I don't know about you, but it has always struck me odd that Jesus had a cross that he died on in a moment, but you and I as believers in Jesus, we have a cross that we're to carry daily. Jesus died once, we die daily. Jesus died once, we die daily. So much so that we cannot even follow Jesus appropriately, I could say accurately, genuinely, we cannot even follow Jesus without a cross. We can't follow him without a cross. And just as I prayed at the onset of the service, you can't find biblical support for self-centered, self-absorbed, selfish Christianity. You won't find support for it. Nowhere in Scripture. In fact, the exact opposite. The exact opposite is that we are to pick up our cross and carry it daily to follow Jesus. Paul said, that he died daily, that he crucified his flesh with its passions. Well, Pastor John, the cross is symbolic of Jesus' death. Yeah, if you still believe in a Jesus that's impaled upon the cross, I don't. I believe in a Jesus that's no longer on a cross. I believe in a Jesus that's alive forevermore. And are we to remember his death? Absolutely. Even at communion, every time you proclaim his death, it says. Every time you proclaim his death. So why, Pastor John, do we have to have a daily cross? Because the cross for you and I spells life. There's life at the cross for you and I. We came to the cross and our lives were changed. And we cannot follow Jesus accurately or genuinely without one. If we are not dying, so you should be constantly dying to stuff as Christians. The Holy Spirit should constantly be dealing with you about areas of your life that you don't want to let go of, that you're still way too much alive to, to follow Jesus. That's why we get so wrapped up in ourselves when we're off, and when we're on, we're so wrapped up in Jesus. You will not follow him. Things are going to get weird in your Christian walk if you forget to pick up your cross. Why do we got to pick up our cross? Because every time you pick it up, you remember, oh, I'm dying to stuff. Oh, I'm dying. I'm dying. Jesus died once. We die daily. Jesus died once. We die daily. If we don't get that, that's the core of, of Christianity. There is no crossless Christianity. Come on. It's, it's because people aren't picking up their crosses and carrying them that they're sleeping with who they shouldn't be sleeping with. That they're using what they shouldn't be using that they're hanging where they shouldn't be hanging, that they're doing what they shouldn't be doing because they forgot to pick up their cross. Man, it's real easy to justify living how you want to live if you're living without a cross. But that cross is a constant reminder of the price that Jesus paid, which brought you life, and you can't live without it. And when you forget your cross, you forget Jesus. So according to Scripture here, we choose to take up our cross or not. We choose. You don't have to. You do not have to. Nobody has to. You choose to. Take up your cross. You choose to take up your cross. But Jesus said, listen, unless you do, you can't follow me. 
So if you're without a cross, then where in the heck are you going? It's almost like that cross is like a map to following Jesus appropriately and accurately. It's almost like we cannot follow him without that cross. If we don't have that cross, we don't know where in the heck we're going. Because if you don't have the cross, your flesh is leading, and now you're a carnal Christian. And the Bible says those who are in the flesh, they can't even please God, Romans 8. This is good preaching, Pastor. I'm glad you're bringing it today. So, refusing our cross is clinging to our life. But I like this, but I want this, but I need this. No, you need Jesus. That's what you need. That's what I needed. Man, I didn't need another another joint. I didn't need another person to sleep with. I didn't need another line of coke. I needed Jesus. That's what I needed. And he only brings lasting change. Those things will bring temporary change, make you feel good for a moment, hey? But man, oh boy, oh girl, that joint, that line of coke, geez, heroin now, needle, that needle, that's got no answers for you. Fleeting, momentary, no answers for you. No answers at all. Jesus is what you need. And every time you're in his presence, every time you pick up his word, you are reminded that this thing is real and it's alive. Because your spirit bears witness. Your born-again spirit, when you invited Jesus in your heart, now bears witness, Scripture says, and it tells you this is real. You don't need a preacher up here to convince you about anything. I am reinforcing, and I am, am encouraging you by building up your faith as I'm preaching the Word of God over you. You don't need anyone to tell you that this is real. You know that it's real. But what do you do with that which is real, and how do you live this Christian walk? You cannot live it without a cross. You must be dying. If you do not carry your cross, you are going to make a world of painful decisions again and again and again and again because you know that you shouldn't be doing this or that. You know. My pastor used to say, you know when you're nowhere. When you've invited Jesus in your heart, in your heart you know. You know. You know. It's so appropriate for a pastor to say, you know better than that. What's he talking to? Is he talking about your knowledge of Scripture? No, he's talking to the changed heart that beats inside of you that says no or yes. You know. The Bible says you are without excuse. Creation itself cries out. So life is always found at the cross. Death for Jesus, life for us. Life began at, the, at Jesus' cross, and it continues with our own. It begins at the cross, continues with our own. Continues with our own. The sacrificial living the Bible talks about does not revolve around you as crazy as it may sound. It revolves around others. It revolves around others. Remember our starting text and who we lay our life down for. We give our lives to Jesus. We lay them down for others. We give our lives to Jesus, but we lay them down for others. And that's no greater love. And that's no greater love. We might do everything as unto the Lord, but it's done, it's done with others in mind. It's kind of wild if you think about it that this life God calls us to when Jesus uh, died uh, to, to provide, um, we're, we're in this world, but not of it, still called to go out and reach it. In this world, not of it, but still called to go out and reach it. It's got to be the craziest thing. It cannot possibly make sense outside of the Holy Spirit. Let me get this straight. We're in this world, but when we ask Jesus into our heart, we're, we're not of it, but we're still called to go out and reach it. And when you ask Jesus in your heart, all of a sudden, 
I get it. And you more than get it, you feel it. See, the, the greatest truths that God reveals, they aren't the ones that you figure out in your head. Man, if you figured it out, it ain't faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. You ain't figuring faith out. Your faith, your, your faith is a walk. You, you, you walk it out. You walk it out. And it seems so backward and so upside down that it's in losing my life that I find it. If I cling to my life, I lose it. It's in dying that I live. It's, 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 the, weirdest, it's the weirdest belief system ever. And yet, those of you that are living like that, those of you that have found this to be true, it's the most wonderful existence ever. It's not void of challenge. It's not void of opposition. But I would take my worst day as a Christian over my best day lost and dying and going to hell. I'd take it right now. Give it to me right now. Best day ever. I don't know how many times I'll tell people, if this is as bad as it gets, you're pretty blessed. This is as bad as it gets, you're pretty blessed. Think about it. If it was about us, Jesus would have said, go deep, but he said, go out. If it was about us, he would have said, hey, go deep. Go deep. Explore the unfathomable riches of God and never share it with anybody. Just go deep as you can. It's not what he said. He said, go out. And everything about us as human beings cries out for selfishness, cries out for self-preservation, cries out. I wouldn't do it. You know what people are going to think about you. I wouldn't do that. That's awful weird right there. Well, you're at church all the time. And what, you're giving your money away? Have you snapped? Totally. Totally. I am crisp for Jesus. I've so snapped. Do not make a shirt out of that, somebody. <laughs> they will not understand it. Deep might, deep might cry out to deep, but the call is to go out. Deep might cry out to deep, but the call is always to go out. Go. Who will go? Who shall we send? The call is always to go out. The call is never to, to become more introverted. The call is never to become more isolated. That is never the call of God. The call is always to go out. There is not a call out there that God has placed in anybody's life that does not revolve around a people group. Well, pastor, I believe that I'm called to full-time ministry. Well, who are you called to? Where are you called? Now, you know how many times in 20-plus years of ministry I've heard people say, well, I believe there's a call of God in my life. Well, then who are you called to? Where are you called? Where are you called? God called us to Ionia. Where are you called? Every calling is ascending. It's a going out. Go out, and it could be to your next-door neighbor. doesn't have to be a long walk. Just got to take you out of where you are. Just got to take you out of where you are. So with all of that as our foundation, all that was for free, let's jump into our study in the time that we got left. Go to Romans 12. Romans 12, just to get your attention. Let's look at some verses that we've looked at a few times, and let's look at them in, in a different light. Isn't it amazing how God can take verses that you've read so many times? I remember reading once that when God brings you, brings you to a familiar passage of Scripture, don't quickly dismiss it 
because he's leading you there again to show you something that you've never seen before. Because God's word is alive, you see facets, even looking at verses that you may have looked at many times, you see facets that you've never seen before. And we've looked at Romans 12, 1 and 2 before, but I believe we're going to see some things we haven't seen before. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. Not people, but God, right? It's not what people would say is acceptable. It's what God would say is acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Notice the context is really worship. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Paul here is not a proponent for asceticism or or legalism. You know, Paul's not saying live so sacrificially that you deprive or hurt yourself striving to be holy. And those were were belief systems in the, in the early days of the church. They would physically afflict themselves, ascetically, they would physically afflict themselves in the, in the clothes that they wore. They would, they would beat themselves. They would hurt themselves, believing that it would somehow make them holier, that it was somehow purging their flesh and making them holier. And Paul is not a proponent for that at all. He's not a proponent for for legalism that says, this is the way that it is. This is the way that you live. Doggone it, you're not even saved unless you're living like this. Paul's not a proponent for that either. Maybe you were raised in a, in a church like that. God hates sinners. Sinners are going to hell. And, and no, God doesn't hate sinners. Romans 5 said he died for us while we were yet sinners. Man, that never made sense to me when I see that sign. If I'm ever in jail, it's because I went and took somebody's sign like that off their front lawn, and they caught me, and that's why. Pastor John's not here today. He was trespassing again, and he destroyed some property. That's probably what's going to happen to me. I hate that sign. God hates sinners. I want to I park my car in front of their house and say, of course he doesn't. He died for them. Come on. Tell people the truth. Paul's not saying do this or that and you'll be holy. No, no, no. Paul is saying that real Christian living does these things. The Pillar New Testament commentary puts it this way. The legalist says something like do these things and you'll live, but Paul is saying live and you'll do these things. You don't do these things. You live and you'll do these things. Do you get the difference? You you, you, don't, you, you don't do these things because, of, because you have to. In just your Christian living, you live this and you'll do these things. The things are not the goal. The life's the goal. The life that you're living is the goal. It's, it's, it's not all of these things that you could check off. And I don't, I don't get up every morning and have a list. You know, because I'm a Christian, because I'm a pastor, I gotta. Before you know it, they're really, really heavy. And I know that heaviness doesn't come from God. I know that I either placed that on myself or somebody else placed it on me. All these rules that I got to live by. If you're a Christian, well, you shouldn't. And if you're a Christian, well, you better not. And all of a sudden now you're living to keep that that finger who's ever pointing it happy. All of a sudden you're living uh, up to your expectations and your standards. God didn't place that stuff on you. That creepy, heavy, nasty, 
old yucky coat that you keep trying to put on that you think is what Christianity is all about. God didn't put that on you. And Paul is saying, he is, he is saying, it's not a bunch of, of do's and don'ts. It's about a life lived. Christianity is a life lived. And if you are living for Jesus Christ, you'll do that stuff. Don't make the stuff that you think you should be doing the goal. Make the life live the goal, and you'll do that stuff if you're living right. But that's never the goal. Over time, you will change. Over time, you're going to find that this drops off you and that drops off you. I hear so many people, Pastor John, I'm making it my goal to quit doing this or, or to quit doing Make Jesus the goal, and he'll help you quit doing that. Man. The Apostle James cuts right to the heart of the matter, and I love James. I, it is not a book for the faint of heart. It really isn't. Don't, don't read it if you think that the Word of God might offend you because it, 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 James just doesn't, he doesn't mince any words. And neither does his brother Jude in the book of Jude. They just don't, they don't play around. They don't play around. And in James 2... Look at 14. <laughs> I love the, the way the New Living words it. It says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you, even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see his faith and his actions work together. His actions made his faith complete. I love it. And so it happened just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God. God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her act. A prostitute. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as a body is dead without breath, so faith is dead without good works. Let me just say it this way. I don't even want to hear about your faith if I can't see it. Come on. I've heard people talk for years I think, wouldn't it be great if the church just shut up and was an example and never said anything? Do you think anybody out there cares how much scripture we know? Do you think anybody really gives a rip? I think that we need to live in such a way that it is an attractant. Hey, let me do that. Hey, are you, hey, 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 don't hurt yourself. Let me help. Can I help? Why are you doing this? Well, I, I just figured that I was coming by at this moment in time and I saw it, so I figured I might as well, I might as well help. I believe that's the way that we're supposed to live. Genuine conversion is a transformation. That's why you find yourself doing things that you never would have done before. 
Man, before we knew Jesus in our little self-absorbed world, we never would have thought of doing the stuff that we now do as Christians. It has changed so profound and miraculous that it makes people live according to Scripture that may not have even heard it. And yet there is this desire for others to know, and all at the same time there are decisions made to stop doing stuff that you've been doing, all because of an inner working of the Holy Spirit upon your life. I tell people all the time, man, invite Jesus in your heart. Just keep coming to church. Let the presence of God, the Word of God, wash over you. Quit worrying about this thing that you got to give up and that thing that you should stop doing. Don't worry. As you keep coming, God will start picking things off one at a time. And he'll say, give that to me. And the beautiful thing about God is he always focuses on one thing. Have you ever found out how rattled you get when you're trying to right a whole bunch of wrongs in one day? But you ever notice how specific God is when he deals with something? He puts his finger on one thing at a time. Give that to me. I want that. We're going to deal with this today. And God leads it. That's why they that are led by the Spirit of God are called the sons of God. As you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, don't worry, man. God will, God will clean you up. If he can catch you, he can clean you. And if he's begun to change you, then don't you think that he can finish the job? Philippians 1, 6. He will complete the work that he began in you. Don't you think? Paul was right when he wrote that to the Philippians. I'm convinced, I'm persuaded that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let God do the work. You be faithful. Let God do the work. You make good decisions. Let God do the work. You be in the right place with the right people at the right time. Let God do the work. Man, why are you assuming that, that burden on yourself? Do you think that you can actually live, that you can, that you can put yourself on some kind of a course to live as a Christian? You are powerless to live that way apart from God. No way. No way. God will do it. God will do it. Of course he will. Look at the Apostle John's end times exhortation. We're going to finish with um, some scripture that I'm going to want to leave you with. Look at the Apostle John's end times exhortation in 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2. You know what it strikes me? It seems like those that were the closest to Jesus, walked the closest with Jesus, seem to bring the strongest messages. James and Jude, his earthly brothers. John, the one that was closest to him. You always see, picture the Last Supper, John's leaning on Jesus' chest. Strongest words always came from them. Peter, strongest words always came from them. And in 1 John chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in 15. Yes. It says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. How many of you know that the world's offering you stuff? For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Dear children, the last hour is here. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. 
These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. But you're not like that. For the Holy One has given you his spirit, and all of you know the truth. So I'm writing to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. And who was a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either, but anyone who acknowledges the Son has a Father also. So you must remain faithful to what you've been taught from the beginning. If you do, you'll remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life he promised us. I'm writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. But you've received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you so that you don't need anyone to teach you what's true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true and it's not a lie. So just as he taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. To John, the Holy Spirit within us does not cause us to crave physical pleasure, pride and achievements or possessions. The Holy Spirit within us causes us to know the truth and keeps us from being led astray. The Holy Spirit within us teaches us. The Holy Spirit within us teaches us. And it teaches you what's true. It teaches you what's true. That's why the Holy Spirit is always checking when you're thinking, you know what, I think I'm going to, hmm, I wouldn't post that on Facebook. Hmm, I wouldn't do that. He teaches you what's true. He teaches you what's true. And the more sensitive you are to the Holy Spirit, the more you begin to live a life that's true. You begin to live a life that way. And then in 1 John 2, 29, he strips it all down. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. We know all who do what's right is God's children. God's children. Let me ask you this. In any given situation, ask yourself, you know what, what's right? What's right here? As a, as a Christian, what's right? What's right here? What's right? And how will this benefit others? You know, nothing destroys a family more than, than selfishness. Nothing destroys a family more than decisions are made that revolve around one person and not around a whole family. Some of you could be casualties of decisions that one person made without any care or any thought for everybody else in the house. Some of you may have even tried to take some blame for the decisions that were made, but it's not your fault because you weren't the one that made the decision. Yet it's amazing at how many lives are changed for the better when the right decisions are made and the right choices are made. Maybe you've begun to do that. Hey, we're all going to start to go to church now. What? What? We've never gone to church. Well, we're going to start. And if we can make bad decisions that affect our families in a moment, we can make right decisions. I mean, before, did it matter that, you know, the kids were running around and you had full-blown parties going on? Did you care about what the kids were exposed to then? And you're afraid of telling them that we're going to church? I don't think so. It's not going to kill you. Just jump in the shower, get in the car. I'll do the driving. It ain't going to kill you. Just get in the car. How hard is it? No wonder why the Bible says train a child in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. And that word old is like Abraham and Sarah old. Look it up. It's like 90, 100 year old old. Why? Train them in the way that they should go. And even if they're sowing their wild oats for a period of time, they'll come back to it. 
They'll come back to it. Why? Because they've been trained by it. And when they start to go through the dregs of life, they're going to think, man, life was good when? Man, I remember when I was a kid, and I remember how good it felt to go to vacation Bible school. Man, I remember when I was a kid, and, and to be in children's church, man, I just, oh, the presence of God. I miss the presence. I'm, why can't I go back to church? I think I'm going to go back to church. You know what? The whole house is going back to church. I mean, let me know when this gets too profound and too deep for you. I want to finish by reference, referencing four portions of Scripture that I believe should be our focus um, for the body of Christ today. Go to Matthew 28. I'm going to look at Matthew, Mark, Proverbs, and Daniel. And then we're going to close. No, really, we're going to close. Matthew 28. I've heard preachers say before they were about to close. Look at Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go to Mark 16. Sixteen, fifteen, And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. And then two of my favorites, Proverbs 11.30. I'll just tell you what they are. Proverbs 11.30 says, he who wins souls is wise. Go to Daniel 12, and we'll finish with that one for sake of time. Daniel 12. Daniel 12, verse 3, says, Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky. Those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. If we're to go out, if we're to make disciples, if wisdom is leading people to Christ, he who wins souls is wise. If it is wise to lead many to righteousness, so much so that we will shine like the stars one day. If you're going to ask me, the most important thing that we could be mindful of in the last days is others and their salvation. What if? What if that person that grinds you, that drives you nuts, is the person that you're supposed to reach? Pastor John, they drive me crazy. What if they're the grain of sand that's that irritant in the clam that becomes the pearl? Pastor John, they irritate me. They don't irritate me. Why do they irritate you? How about if I give you some of the people that irritate me and I take the one that irritates you? Why? Why do they drive you crazy? Why are they consistently popping into your life? Why do they live in your own house? Why are they family members that you see on a consistent? Why could it be that you are supposed to lead them somewhere and they know you well enough to know that if you tell them something and you say it with enough conviction and enough passion that they'll accept it as the truth? There's nothing like the holidays. Nothing like them. Your favorite family members coming over to your house. 
That one time a year that you allow them to come over. Oh, here they come again. You fast and pray for three days before they come over just to survive. What if, hey, I want to tell you something that I never told you. When I was a youth pastor in Grand Haven, um, we would uh, have my nephews and nieces spend the night, um, Christmas night, they'd, we'd have everybody come out to the house and I'd tell all my brothers and my sister, leave your kids and they can spend the night here and man, we'll get up in the morning and we'll make you know, cappuccinos and we'll make breakfast. And, and so I have all these teenagers in my house and I'd say, I don't know what your mom, I don't know what your dad's, are saying about me, but Pastor John has not snapped. Let me tell you what they're not telling you. Let me tell you that I was once the guy that was smoking weed and snorting coke and sleeping around. Let me tell you that that is what I once was. And I want you guys to know that you can invite Jesus in your heart just like I did, and he can change your life. I mean, I just jumped right over my brothers and after preaching Adam off and on for years, and, and my sister knew the Lord. My sister got saved before I did, and I went right after their kids. I'll tell people that all the time. If you won't come to church, can we pick up your kids? Hey, man, I haven't seen you in a while. Um, hey, if you won't come, can we pick up your kids? I mean, go ahead, and you can live any way that you want to, but can we reach your kids? I mean, I just, I'm trying to keep stupid from spreading. Can we reach your kids? Can we? Don't want it to breed. Trying to stop it. Trying to stop it. And you staying away from God's house for petty, little petty differences. Someone said this. Somebody said that. We don't have time to be offended. We're in the last days. We really don't. We don't have time for little petty quarrels and and disputes. We don't have time to get in doctrinal arguments that are so strong that it's keeping us from God's house. Didn't you enjoy the presence of God today? Hasn't the word of God going forth begun to deal with your heart in some areas? Don't you want that for your kids and your kids' kids? Don't you want that? Man. If any one of my boys, and I don't believe they will, ever tries to raise their kids apart from the church, we will come and get them and bring them to church. I don't care. Who cares? This isn't a popularity contest. This is eternity we're talking about. And I don't know about you, and I don't know where you stand right now, but maybe souls haven't been important to you because you haven't been important enough to you to bring your life to Christ. It all starts with with a changed life. No one listens to to just a mouth that's talking. People listen to, to, to feet that are actually walking that are doing it. So I want to pray with you today before we part.